Mario? Hello? Hello, Em? Hi, Kim. Hey. All right. I can hear you fine. I don't hear Mario. I was getting ready to I tell him that. I don't hear Mario that. either. Shoot. Okay. All right. Um, is Mario going to dial back in? Uh, we're so sorry for the technical difficulties, anyone who's listening. We're just having technical difficulties with Blog Talk, and um, my co-host Mario will be um, dialing back in so we can get the show started soon, okay? But today's topic is female genital mutilation. Yes. Um, this is a topic we've wanted to talk about for a very, very long time, and... Um, it's definitely something that needs to be talked about. We may even touch on, um, Mari and I agreed that we would touch on um, child marriage um, if it led into that. But just um, before we even start the show, um, he and I want to put out a disclaimer. We will not be discussing male circumcision on the show this evening. Um, not that it isn't an issue for some people. However... Um, it's simply not a topic that everyone can agree on. It would not be a discussion so much as a debate. Um, there simply isn't enough time in the two-hour period to discuss female genital mutilation as well as um, um, male circumcision, and it would hijack the show. Um, so we're we're going to avoid that topic tonight. So just this is just in you know a disclaimer for anyone that wants to call in later. Um, we will not be discussing male circumcision, um, and we want really want to stay on topic as much as possible and not have this turn into a huge debate um, over those um, pro and opposing um, male circumcision. We will be sticking um, strictly to female genital mutilation this evening and um, child marriage, okay? And I hope you guys really enjoy the show um, because it's going to be a really, really great topic. Um now, Mario's still having issues dialing in, so um, the first thing I wanted to do was make sure that all of our callers know what female genital mutilation is. It's a topic that gets talked about every so often, but not a lot of people are exactly sure what it is or what it entails, so I'm just going to give you a brief run-through of what exactly it is. Um, female genital mutilation refers to the removal of the clitoris and the clitoral hood, um, and also um, the um, inner labia. And um, what happens is in parts of the world where this is done, after these, um, these parts of the female genitalia are removed, the, they, either, um, they will either um, sew up 
the vagina by sewing the lips of the outer labia or um, even sear the wound shut using um, a hot branding tool. And this is a practice that is, you know, spans the globe really. Um, it is practiced in, in parts of Asia, parts of Africa. Um, there even been a few reports of it happening in parts of South America. Um, obviously, this this is an issue that has huge um, religious undertones. However, it's not something that is mandated by any religions. Um, we have been seeing more and more news reports lately about this happening, especially in Islamic communities. However, this is not something that is mandated by their religion, and the vast majority of cultures that practice female genital mutilation are not Muslim. Um, it is a cultural, regional um, practice more than a religious one. Um, as as of 2012, this was practiced in 28 countries in um, Western, Eastern, and Northeastern Africa, um, and and of course parts of Asia and the Middle East. And the World Health Organization estimates that 140 million women and girls around the world have experienced it, and that number is 101 million in Africa alone. Um, this is female genital mutilation usually happens without any anesthesia, and um, the traditional circumcised uses a knife, a razor blade, and scissors. Oftentimes, though, these things are not um, sanitized um, properly or at all before the procedure. And there are some parts of the world where people even use um, the lids of, you know, aluminum cans to do this, um, and. You know, um, the idea of the practice is rooted in gender inequality, um, idea of cultural identity, purity, modesty, status, honor, all of these things. Um, different cultures practice it for religious, for different reasons. Um, among the Maasai people of Tanzania, there is the mindset that, um, or old wives tale really, that if you don't circumcise a woman, then eventually the clitoris will just keep growing and growing and growing until it becomes a penis. There are some that believe that if you sleep with a woman that still has her clitoris, her clitoris might wrap around your penis and choke it. Um, there's some there's some myths that if a woman without a who hasn't been circumcised um, has a child, then um, her her um, clitoris will grow inwards and wrap around that child's neck and kill your fetus. Um, and it's really such a thing that it's, it's become the norm in the cultures that practice it where a man will not um, marry a woman who hasn't been um, circumcised or mutilated, which would be the more appropriate term for this. Um Female genital mutilation is carried on young girls, sometimes sometime between infancy and the age of 15. But in the places where it is practiced, um, even if the parents don't agree with it or don't like it, they know that this is this is the best chance that their daughters have of getting married because if you could choose between a woman that has been circumcised or hasn't been circumcised, you would want the one that was circumcised. Um, of course, this is an incredibly painful procedure since there are literally millions of nerve endings in the clitoris. But the number one reason for doing it is to ensure the purity of the woman and um, 
ensure that she is virgin because after such a procedure, she will probably never enjoy um, sex or the sexual act. And being sewn up, you know that she couldn't have possibly had have had sex. Um, it's just a greater insurance than, a, 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 I guess, a hymen could ever be as for um, sexual purity. And I really hate that term, sexual purity, but this is the reason why um, this procedure is performed first and foremost is to um, ensure, ensure sexual purity. And there's a feeling there that you want to belong. Um, exactly. This is the norm. Exactly. You want to belong. This is the norm. Um and people really need to understand, too, this happens to young girls. It is their mothers, fathers, grandmothers, um, aunts doing this. So even if they're against it, you know, who would say such a thing in a country where um, female genital mutilation is illegal? Who would report their own family to the authorities? That is asking a child to live with so much guilt. I mean, we see it all the time in this country with children who are being abused where they do not um, speak out against their abuser because that's a family member. And um, so we really have to understand why um, so many children are silent about it, where it's illegal, like in the United States and in Europe, where you have a lot of immigrants from these nations that perform the procedure who insist on mutilating their daughters even when they migrate to countries where such a practice is banned. Um, what happens also... Um, is the like I said, the first type of circumcision removes the clitoris and the clitoral hood. There's another form of clitor, um, clitoral um, mutilation and um, female genital mutilation where they remove the clitoris and the inner labia. There is um, a third type that is the combination of the two. And the fourth um, involves miscellaneous procedures such as the piercing of the um, clitoris or labia, the cauterization of the clitoris, and the cutting into the um, vagina to widen it, um, and this would happen, you know, a few years after the clitoral mutilation or a few months if the girl is set to be married. Now, the health consequences of female mutilation include recurrent urinary and vaginal infections, obviously, especially if, if the, it's been cauterized or sewn up because it just makes it so difficult, if not impossible, to clean that area. Exactly. Uh, which is already a warm, moist environment to begin with. Um, chronic pain, infertility, fetal hemorrhaging, fatal hemorrhaging, excuse me, um, cysts, and of course, complications during childbirth. Um, now, um, one of the greatest um, advocates against female circumcision is the Somali um, atheist advocate and author. Ayan Hirsi Ali, and in her book Nomad, she actually details her circumcision. And the way it happened with her um, was that both of her parents agreed that they would not circumcise their children, neither her, her sister, or her younger brother, but their grandmother was incredibly traditional. And um, when both parents were 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 gone, um, for whatever reason, for work, for, for travel, and she was left in charge, um, she decided that she was going to circumcise her grandchildren. So she invited all the aunts and all the neighbors over, and they circumcised all three women. And she details, you know, the pain of it, the feeling of betrayal, the the hurt of it. And 
what is what what struck out to me more than her own experience um with her circumcision was how she details her little sister's um shift in mentality after being circumcised um said that her sister was a bubbly lively child, but after the circumcision she sort of retreated into herself, and it was from that time on that she began a history of severe depression um and was later on in adulthood even suicidal. But, um, you know, it was such a shocking, traumatic thing to have to go through for her that it completely um, revolutionized her character for the worse. And this is what a lot of people don't understand about um, female genital mutilation, is that it is a violation of that person's personhood. It is a violation of their sexuality the violation of their human rights. But um, so many girls are going through it because so many nations, even the ones that don't outright um, um, condone or encourage mutilation, will not um, prosecute parents who do it because the idea is that your, your children, especially your daughters, belong to you and you can do with them whatever you please. And that's one of the biggest issues um, hygienically, um, sociologically, psychologically, there is so much wrapped up in female clitoral mutilation. Um, the UN um, has banned it, but um, like I said, um, there are parts of there are immigrants in parts of Europe that are still getting it done. Um, recent, the most recent of which happened. Well, the most recent that was that made the news happened um, in June, where an Egyptian girl um, died in a village in Cairo. Now, her parents were still in Egypt, which has a huge um, the, the the country as a whole has a huge, you know, um, condoning and encouraging of female genital mutilation. And this girl died um, as a result of undergoing the female um, circumcision. Um, to quote her father, Mohammed Ibrahim, he says, we left our daughter with a doctor and the nurse. Fifteen minutes later, the nurse took my daughter out of the operation room to a nearby room, along with three other girls whom the doctor was circumcising. I waited half an hour, hoping my daughter would wake up, but unfortunately, unlike the rest of the girls, she did not. So they're saying, um, the doctor says it was not the circumcision, but the anesthesia, I believe the girl was either allergic to it or she got too much, that killed her. Um, and her mother, her mother um, Sue Harris, says, I want nothing but to hold the doctor accountable and have justice for my daughter. Now, I don't know if you agree with me or not, Kim, but I see huge irony there. Um, because the girl could have been ill um, years on down the road and gotten anesthesia for another purpose and would have probably still died from it. Um, but they brought her in for an unnecessary, what they call, operation, and she died, but they want to hold the doctor accountable when they're the ones who wanted their daughter circumcised. Kim, you still there? Okay, so we're having technical difficulties with Kim as well. Um Anyone who wants to call in, this would be a great time to call in because my co-hosts are not here tonight. Um, but let's see. 
there's another subject that I wanted to, t- to touch on um, as far as um, female genital mutilation. Like I said, it doesn't always coincide with religion, but it does always coincide with um, child marriage or um, underage marriage of of girls and um, teens, um, usually to much older men. And it's just another way of stifling their sexuality. Okay, I'm going to give this a little lull and wait for my co-host to jump back on board. Okay, so they're still trying to get in. Um, in 1996, um, Egypt criminalized female genital mutilation, and this was one of the biggest issues with, with what's going on in the most recent case. Um, however, many families still illegally circumcise their daughters. Um, um, like I said, it was banned in 1996, but it wasn't until 2009 that Egyptian authorities arrested a man for illegally circumcising an 11-year-old girl, which was the first time that anyone had been arrested since the ban the ban was was introduced. So, yeah, it took them 13 years after they declared it illegal to even bother arresting anyone for it. Yeah. Um so this was the reason why so many people are still doing it because the law is not um enforced heavily enough. Um, and going back to what Ayan Hirsi Ali had to say about it, um, she says, um, education campaigns do not work. Just talking to the mothers and grandmothers about the practice is harmful and not convincing. Just tell their daughters to grit their teeth. The core of the problem for them is, who is going to make my daughter if I cannot verify she is a virgin? And it is an obsession with virginity that is the real problem. Um she says it should be a man's campaign. Why do they need a virgin? Why do they need a woman whose genitals have been demolished? Is that the only way to express their manhood? Um, and um, she goes on to say that um, that one of the ways to um, to to crack down on the practice is um, to use a detect, a detection mechanism like having someone to go over to at-risk girls, an annual examination, just to look at the girl's genitalia, there's no need to touch, by a female pediatrician or nurse. Um, And that way, if the parents knew that they were going to be checked, that someone was going to come over and look and make sure that their daughter still had her genitalia intact and that they might be punished if they weren't, then they would stop doing it. And while I think that would probably be one of the best deterrents, it's still sad that a girl would have to be violated, um, you know, by having to expose herself, even to a healthcare professional, for that reason alone, <sighs> in order <sighs> to to avoid this. Ma- Mario, are you there? Yeah, yeah. It took you long enough. We're sorry for the wait, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I apologize for the technical difficulties. I just. We had to run through some things and figure out something that was going on with Blog Talk Radio. 
so my deepest apologies to my host here as well as to the audience. I hope that but I, I think haven't bored the audience too badly. Um, I know that listening to me ramble was probably really dull. Um, so, yeah. Now that everyone's no, not on at all. board. Yeah. Now that everyone's on board and I've, I've already gone through what female genital mutilation is and where it's performed and part of the reasons why it's performed, what do you guys have to say as far as the practice is concerned and what I just said about Ayan Hersey Ali's um, suggestion that girls um, be given an annual checkup just for the sole purpose of ensuring that their genitalia is intact? Personally, I think it's a horrible situation, and nobody, you know, no woman, no child should have to endure that and then have to get a yearly checkup to make sure that everything is in order. It kind of, you know, again, a woman should be in charge of her own reproductive system. Mm-hmm. No, um, my issue was with her suggestion that you, a healthcare professional drop by, you know, at the houses of girls who are most at risk, you know, come from very traditional families or from um, cultures where such a practice is um, heavily performed and just check the girls to make sure that their genitalia is intact. While I think that's probably best, and she is right um, about education not being the best um, form of action because the parents want to get their daughters married and that we should question the men about why they want a virgin so badly, I still feel like it's a violation to the child because it's like having a social worker come in and, you know, exposing yourself to this person over and over and over again. What happens when, you know, let's say it's the Egyptian family living in France or the U.K., and the child, it's one thing at 10 years old to be checked, but at 16, 17-year-old to be checked for that sort of thing because of the beliefs of your family, it, do you not think that that's still sort of a violation as well? I mean, obviously not as big a violation, but I mean, how do you feel about that, that this is what it has to come to to prevent these families from mutilating these girls this way? This is, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know because it's, it's such. Um, I mean, the, the idea of mutilating a, a female, a female genitalia is such an. It's it's such an irate inducing uh, 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 um, act that the fact that you had to go through all those lengths to ensure it's not happening. It says it's kind of scary to me, but, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what we need to do to ensure or what we can do to ensure these girls' safety and everything, but if if it means checking up on these girls and make sure these these families are not doing that, I guess I could kind of be on board for it, even though I do feel like it's a violation of privacy in some in some ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. I'm going to go over some of the reasons. Um, well, you all have a caller uh, from Atlanta, actually. Oh, cool beans. Yeah, so let me pull Eric into the conversation. Eric, all right, okay, you've called before, Eric. Yeah, I've been on here uh, a couple of weeks, weeks ago. Yay, um, all right. So, um, good evening, and, and what do you have to bring to the discussion for us? Well, I, I'm not totally... Uh, uh, keen to this, this uh, topic, but um, from my general understanding, um, I, I believe that the religious community, their you know, the basic defense on this is that it's not, it's not something that they, um, they the antic that they 
as far as the reason, it isn't based on religious principles because it's not in scripture and stuff like that. So they, you know, they just seem to believe, like you said, it's um, it's based on uh, a rite of passage for the, you know, for the female so she can, you know, be accepted in their community, their culture, and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. But that is that just a scapegoat excuse? I mean, or, or do they have some colloquial well, terms that they the, use? Here's, here's the thing about it. Um, this practice is most deeply rooted in in Africa, and I mean, it spans a lot of the continent, um, especially Eastern and Northeastern Africa. Um, and most of the people that practice it, like I said, are not um, Muslim. It is a traditional practice, a cultural practice, a regional practice. However, the Muslims that practice um, female genital mutilation try to tie it into their religion, even though Islam says nothing about female genital mutilation, because this is one religion that's obsessed with female sexual purity, and they have they a lot of um, um, Muslims, especially um, um, Middle Eastern and African Muslims, have jumped on the female genital mutilation bandwagon um, because it's just another way to ensure um, female sexual purity and um, and control um, female desire and female pleasure. Right. Uh, yeah, that's, I don't know. I mean, I guess there's a lot of weird things that go on in, in different cultures. I mean, there's, there's you know, people dip their hands in, in some sort of, a, a, you know, absurd, Ingredients that will, you know, pretty much melt your skin away, you know, just to mm-hmm. prove to see who's, you know, the thief and who's the innocent one because, you know, their religion says that the, the pure, purified one won't, you know, they won't get burned. But, um, mm-hmm. uh, but this is, a, this is you know, like I said, I just told you, um, it's not um, specifically an Islamic thing. Um, the most, probably the most, um, like, dominant um, and hugest um, perpetrator of female genital mutilation are the Maasai people of Tanzania. And um, um, their culture even says, it's so so deeply rooted in the culture that the Maasai will not even call a woman mother, even if she has children, if she hasn't been circumcised. Wow. That's crazy. Um, It says, it heightens you to another level of pure motherhood, a motherhood not tainted by sexuality, um, because sex can be extremely painful um, for for victims of this mutilation. And this is why the woman gives it a way to become a matron and respected by the people. If you're not circumcised, you can achieve sexual pleasure, so your children are a side effect of your pleasure and, and not a consequence of your sacrifice. So you are not worthy of respect. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm. You know, like I said, I'm kind of. Um, even one woman. Oh. Yeah, I'll keep on going with the notes. Even one woman to one group told um an interviewer that um and it's quoted, which is better, an ugly opening or a dignified closure. So it's even gotten to the point where they view um you know the vagina the way that it's meant to look, um as hideous. It's something that needs to be um, closed up because it's just disgusting to look at. And, um, you know, it's just, it's it's very, very difficult to um, break that mentality when it's so deeply rooted in the culture. And, again, I agree with Ayan Hirsi Ali's ideology that educating these people about the wrongs of it's not going to work if at the end of the day the only question they can ask is, who would marry my daughter if she's uncircumcised? The issue is to ask the men, why are you so obsessed with virginity? 
Why do you need someone whose genitals are ruined? Why is this the only way that you can prove yourself as a man? And then perhaps if 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 we can change the male ideology, we can change the female ideology of 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 why this practice needs to die. Yeah, that's a huge undertaking right there. Mm-hmm. I know it's beyond um, my. Yeah, go ahead. Um, just um, too for everyone's, you know, um, so you can get a feel for it. Also, with the Maasai um um women, um um David Gallagher, who was an interviewer, cited various myths, um, to that the people hold as to why the clitoris is dangerous and they are swallows. Um, it says that, um, they say that the clitoris is able to harm a man's penis if he touches it. It causes excessive cranial fluid in a baby. It, having one poisons the breast milk of the mother um, if the baby um, um, touches it um, during birth. Um, it says that... Um, Women who have not had the procedure are regarded by certain societies as too unclean to handle food and water. So if you let this woman who has not been circumcised handle your food and water, then you've tainted it. So a situation where, let's say, even if you don't plan on getting married and you plan to work, um, and, you know, your family is, is somehow one of those rare few that's okay with that, um, if the people should find out that you're not circumcised, and usually everyone knows because they throw these huge parties to celebrate such an event, and everyone's going to know that you still have a clitoris. They don't want you handling their food and water. Um, and um, like I said, oh, oh, there's another really hilarious myth that the, the clitoris will just keep growing until it dangles between your legs like a penis. But even but that's that's almost to my point is like I'm sure that there are some females out there that haven't had you know this uh, procedure done and can't that you know well I guess nobody's going between the legs and proving that it's not real you know mm-hmm. but um you know I'm sure that there's got to be some men that have had sex with them and, and still can validate you know that these are ridiculous plans and that nothing is wrong you know with this female that she can birth and have you know a natural life and all this stuff. You know, but a lot when of you're, when, oh, go ahead. Kim. No, I was just going to say a lot of this goes back to tradition and you know, um, you know, different things being passed down through the family. So again, they'll say, well, my mother was, you know, had, um, you know, FGM, and her mother had it, and her mother's mother had it, and we we turned out just fine. Same here for a number of things in this country. And, you know, I'm not saying that it's right because I definitely do not believe in this. But, again, you know, even if they had a couple of people who didn't have, a couple of women that did not have the FGM, you know, they're just going to say, you know, basically blow them off and not, you know, take any, you know, their word will have no veracity with them. So the whole thing is just disheartening. Um, What I was about to say was, oh, go ahead, Mario. I really do. I really do think that you know, you know, it just shows that how, how significant you know. I mean, male. I mean, male dominance is not just a a um, it's not just a religious idea. You know, 
you know, it's, it's also a culture, culturally based as well. And I guess in some ways it does connect to the religion of the cult area, but specifically culturally, you know, about, about every society, especially uh, the, uh, the major societies, um, had some idea of purity when it comes to women, even if it meant that they, she had to be a virgin until she's 21 or she had to be, or she, um, most cases, you you know, if you're 15 and you're still a virgin, there's something wrong. Um, especially if you haven't been married. I mean, well, a woman who hasn't been married by 20, 20 years old, there's something wrong with her and everything. And so yeah, about, about a lot of cultures have some idea of how females should be uh, pure and how a male is, you know, able to benefit from that, especially in, especially when you consider the fact that uh, um, in some cultures, the only they consider that the only the only way to ensure that the, the children born from that woman were the males. You know, like it's not, you can kill the kids if you find out that it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, what I, a point I wanted to bring up was scientific literacy, especially in terms of hum, human anatomy. Um, you know, I think a lot of these myths surrounding the clitoris, um, you know, got blown out of proportion because of something that these 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 cultures experienced and did not understand. And I'm not talking about Islamic cultures, um, except perhaps in the rural areas, because um, the Muslim community has spawned a lot of great scientific minds who probably know better. I'm talking about in the rural areas and with these tribal communities that are um, non-Islamic and, and you know um, don't aren't really exposed to the outside world. Um, it's very possible that someone could have seen someone who was intersexed um, that had um, a small penis or a large clitoris, and they thought that thing keeps growing because you don't cut it. It's very possible that a midwife um, gave birth to a child that was in breach with a placenta wrapped around its neck, and they thought, that's her clitoris. It choked the child. Um, and, you know, kind of just ran with it as a as an, a, an, a reason to keep this trend going. Like we have, because this is what happens when you don't cut off the clitoris. We have to do it. Look at this example of this person with this, you know, huge clitoris or penis, you know, um, because it wasn't cut. Who wants that? And it's gotten to the point where it's so common. Um, people learn to loathe the appearance of the unbutchered vagina. Yeah, you know, and it's... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, um, I mean, the information, you know, and I didn't know much about... I didn't know... I knew scant bits about it, but I didn't know a whole lot. And a lot of stuff that just you're relating now and stuff that I, I admit that I didn't know. You know, and um, doing research for the show and whatnot, uh, you know, I've noticed Wikipedia, but, you know, you can normally you can, yeah, um, it's, it's practiced in 28 countries in Western, Eastern, and Northeastern Africa, particularly Egypt and Ethiopia, and parts of Asia, Asia and Middle East. And WHO, the uh, World Health Organization, estimates that 140 million women and girls around the world have experienced and this is, you know, no anesthesia. This is no, uh, 
some parts of the way they argue for anesthesia. It's like the Egyptian girl I was just talking about. She died because she, they either gave her too much or she's allergic to anesthesia. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I didn't, and yeah. that's why she died before, you know, the circumcision was even performed. And this was the question that I had, but um, both of you guys are having trouble getting in. Her mother goes on record saying that they want justice. Mind you, this was in Egypt. And even though it's still widely performed there, circumcision, female circumcision has been banned in Egypt since 1996. She's saying that she and the girl's father want justice for something that was illegal and medically unnecessary. And at this point, as much as I want to blame the doctor, he didn't do anything wrong at that point because he didn't even get around to circumcising the child before she died. So I feel like the parents should be brought to justice. You know, the, the irony is that, um, you know, even we find, you know, male circumcision so acceptable in this society and, I mean, it's, you know, been rendered unnecessary, but, you know, it's just a, a you know, now a tradition. And, um, it's, it's it's not obviously as, as horrible as the situation that, you know, females are going through, but uh, uh, I think it just, you know, points out the ideology um, can normalize, you know, the the, I guess, the, the fences. I mean, you know, you have little, you know, compassion for someone who has to go through an unnecessary situation because you you kind of compartmentalized, you know, the the horror of, of it and, and made sense out of it. So. Mhm. Um, I did put a disclaimer at the beginning of the show that we um, won't be discussing male circumcision, but um, I will answer um your statement just to say that um. This is it is very easy to normalize something that you see every day that occurs every day, and um, the same way that most people, um, and most males and females, um, now prefer a circumcised penis because that's what they're used to seeing. In these countries, these men prefer a circumcised woman because that is the norm. It 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 might not even be a matter of sexual purity anymore. He could be a man that's totally confident in his sexuality and in his manhood. He wants a woman that's his equal, but he's thinking, what's wrong with her? This is so weird. Why am I looking at this gaping, open vagina? This is I've never seen this before. I don't want to see this. Um, you know, and there there are even women here where the idea of a a a, a, a tiny um, late, tiny labia and neat-looking vagina is kind of spreading across, um, and you know people want to make their labia smaller. Um, Kim sent me a link for that um, earlier this week um, about a woman who wants to reduce the size of her labia. Um, it's getting ridiculous. Um, people want genitalia to look as neat and pretty as possible. Like it's genitalia. Like I hate to burst anyone's bubble, but it's not supposed to look great. Like, it's not supposed to be, like, the most attractive thing on earth. I mean, just look where it's positioned. It's right next to where, you know, we excrete waste. <laughs> like, it's not that deep. <laughs> hey, well, hey, we got another caller com- coming in. Um, uh, caller 336. Three, six, Hello? Hello? Yes? Taking this on Oh, go, go ahead. Hi, it's Tiara. Hi, Tiara. Um, I wanted to call in because I heard you uh, getting towards the uh, vaginoplasty thing mm-hmm. in the States. 
and uh, in in Western countries in general, where women are getting plastic surgery on their vaginas to make it look nice and neat and labia inner labia reductions and things like that, and um, I wanted to uh, to talk about um, how that could eventually branch into mutilation. Like, where do you draw the line between surgery and actually mutilating yourself? Yeah, is I think it, you could eventually get to that point where it, I don't think it would be like it is in a lot of these um, um, African and Middle Eastern nations, um, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like a hat job. I think it would be something where you actually go to your plastic surgeon, you get it snipped off, and it's it's smooth, and there is very little scarring or no scarring whatsoever, and, you know, um, maybe not even sewn up, obviously, but just to get that clean look like a Barbie or Kendall. Yeah. I, I think it, it could eventually come to that. Um, it, I, it, I think there's way too much obsession on what's going on with the way our genitalia looks or what we're doing with our genitalia and not enough um being done to respect it and and promote um you know healthy sexual mindsets. I mean before mm-hmm. this before I even heard of sexual um female genital mutilation, I was at a, a um my uncle's seven day advantage church and I was a teenager and they were talking about something called um Revirginization surgery, where you can go to a doctor and he will repair your hymen. And there, there were so many yeah. girls, especially from Middle Eastern nations, whose parents were um, sending them abroad to get this procedure done because it was the only way um, to undo the dishonor of her having had premarital sex or um, her breaking her hymen somehow um, in childhood um, to be mm-hmm. married because. It, whether or not she was actually a virgin, if the hymen's not there when she's married, not only um, is it, could the husband beat his rights to kill her, divorce her, but the whole family would be dishonored. Yeah, you know, it, it, um, when, I, when I read about that stuff, you know, how, how bad it can get for a female that is, uh, for a female in a lot of these, these cultures and these, these countries and everything, I mean, I mean, they really have it bad, man. I mean, I mean, it's just—it's amazing that a woman, a fourteen-year-old girl, can be executed for being raped and stuff. So, you know, when we get down into the subject of the, at, at hand, the genital the mutilation, the fact that you go through such lengths to uh, subjugate and um, and uh, uh, cut off any idea that a female can. In, actively participate and enjoy sex lest she be considered less pure or something? I mean, I mean, just how do you even arrive at that idea? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah, well, I was, you know. What? I'm sorry, go ahead. You go ahead. Go ahead. Right. Oh, I was, uh, I was thinking about that too. Um, you know, where uh, they talk about wanting uh females to be pure, but um, there's not enough conversation, I, I don't think, about the fact that they don't want women to enjoy sex. And Exactly. Yeah. And exactly. It's not about purity so much as removing um, female sexual pleasure. 
there are tons of men that want a virgin, but they still want when they marry that virgin for her to enjoy sex with him. Um, yeah. Then, you know, you have a new situation now where you're less of a woman, you're less of a mother if you should ever get any enjoyment out of sex because a woman shouldn't enjoy anything, should she? Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't, a real woman is a living martyr, pretty much. I guess it just goes to show um, maybe in these third world countries that, you know, technology just hasn't really caught up as fast as we hoped it would. I mean, with all the social media and the information that's just getting, you know, uh, you know literally purged through, I mean, it just amazes me that, you know, these barbaric practices can still exist. And maybe that's just the strength of their culture just to resist it. But, um, you know, just it would just seem like time would eventually heal these ignorances. So maybe when I move mm-hmm. fast enough. You know, that's the, that's the thing, though. Even here, we don't have enough conversation about uh, about female sexuality and and uh, it actually being okay for you to enjoy sex. You know, we, we slut shame all the time. We talk about how, you know, you shouldn't, be seen with this guy and that guy and too many guys at one time because you don't want anybody to think you're slut or, mm-hmm. you know, conversation has to be had about, to these young girls about how it is okay <laughs> for you to be as you are. You yeah, know, in this yeah. situation, it's not even a matter of what the girls think so much as the idea that the culture is propagated. The culture is propagated that you are not a woman unless you've gone through that rite of passage of circumcision. Um, So so society has proven that you are not marriageable until you've gone through that rite of circumcision. So it doesn't even matter how a woman feels about her own sexuality or her own rights. She wants to be married. She wants to be a mother one day. She'll suck it up and go through with it because that's the only way she's going to gain man around those parts. So it's not about educating the women about their bodies, they know that it hurts, they know that it's in pain, they know that they're going to suffer every time they have sex, Um, they know that it's going to be horrific pain when they give birth, more than it should be, more than it already is, but they know that, hey, if I want a family and I want a husband, this is what I've got to go Mm -hmm. through, because if I don't do it, he'll marry another woman who has. It's it's a, it's a culture where we we need to shift the minds of the young the boys and the young men into accepting that this is what a woman's um, genitalia should look like naturally that it should be intact that there's nothing wrong with the woman having um, pleasure um, because I really feel that the root of this is is steeped in these men feeling emasculated or threatened by the idea that a woman might have been with someone before him. Or that she might, or that she could have had pleasure with someone before him. And, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm hoping that you know these are still the same cultures that you know act, practice you know polygamy for that matter. And, and um, exactly. So the irony. Is, you know, so if I want to be one of many wives, I need to get circumcised. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, I guess it's better to be wife number three than not have anything because a lot of these cultures, and again, um, and this is for both the Islamic cultures and the non-Islamic cultures, if you don't have a husband and you also don't have a mother and a father, then who's going to take care of you? Because in most of the cultures that practice this, women can't work. The only profession for a yeah. woman is prostitution. You know, I was uh, reading reading those stuff, and, I, you know, you know, you must have, 
the geek that I am, I read about uh, stuff from Game of Thrones and whatnot. And there's there's a um, there's a uh, actress in the show who plays a pretty significant part in the show, who is a former porn star, you know, and she went from doing porn and doing a very a mainstream show that made a very big impact in pop culture and everything like that. You can't do that in America. That 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 just one chick I can't remember her name. She was near tarred and feathered for trying to read a book, a children's book at a school, as though she's going to come there and read the synopsis of one of her porn movies. And so as I'm reading more about it, apparently she's uh, from an Islamic, Islamic family, from, and she grew up near Turkey or in Turkey or something like that, and she wasn't even allowed to uh, uh, get in a higher education, mm-hmm. you know. And so she started an organization to help um, young girls, you know, in situations like that. And it, it, you know, it's you know, if you, it's, not, it's not just Islamic cultures or uh, um, cultures in that in that area. Even you know, Victorian. I mean, uh, medieval England have these ideas that women are some some somehow less than, and therefore her. Her, she had that she has to protect the image of chastity and remain such until um some man beds her and she produces offspring you know the very idea that i mean a woman could be executed outright for um even the thought of uh adultery or 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 strength in bed and whatnot was the chastity belt a real thing or am I just making that up um no no no, I don't think you did. Um, um, one of the people who um, is one of another, another huge advocate against female genital mutilation is a supermodel, um, Somali supermodel, um, excuse me, Ethiopian supermodel, um, Laya Kadidi. Um, mm-hmm. She's modeled for so many different companies, um, most notably Victoria's Secret. Um, if she's never gone on record saying whether or not she's ever had the procedure done, though many people speculate. But she's spoken out against it for years and even did a film um, about it um, based on a book written by um, the author, what is her name? Waris DeRee. Um, and the film is called Desert Flower. And it's about um, being a 13-year-old nomad crossing the desert, trying to get away from this oppressive environment. And what she says about it is that the movie illustrates an awful truth um, because this is what people can't wrap their heads around. Um, as extreme as this sounds to you, it is normal in these cultures, and um, especially the ones that marry off children um, before um, they reach pubescence. It's very, very normal to do it any time from infancy to 10 years old and marry that child off within a couple um, months or a couple years afterward. Um, it's because, you know, you can't trust that the 10-year-old is a virgin, apparently. Um, it's, it's it's a real awful situation that these girls have had to be in because they are repeatedly violated um, sexually, first by their relatives and then by their husbands. How does this, uh, how does uh, female circumcision affect menstrual cycles? Well, this is what I was talking about earlier about hygiene, because mm-hmm. especially if especially if um, they sewed up the outer labia, or they cauterized the area, 
it's almost impossible, if not completely impossible, to clean that. And what happens is if they sew it up, you, they will cut they will um, cut the threads of the stitches. But if it's cauterized, what you have to do is you have to go through that excruciating pain all over again by having someone insert a knife on the cauterized wound and cut you back open and do another procedure to widen your vagina again to a normal shape. And mm-hmm. there's probably years of of bacterial growth and infections to account for when you do that because she hasn't been able to wash that entire time. Infections are very, very common for um, victims of mutilation. Infections are the norm. Um, it's, hold on. Um, there are some more health side effects of the practice. I'm going to go over that one more time because um, there's just so many. Um, urinary retention, because sometimes it's sewn up that, that yeah. like, completely, um, that, that you know, you cover up the urinary tract. It pretty much looks like a Kendall. Um, urinary tract infection, wound infection, septicemia, tetanus, um, because of the unsterilized instruments that can be used, hepatitis, even HIV, because sometimes and um, the uncircumcised instruments have a lingering, um, um, lingering um, blood and fluid on them from people that they just circumcised like two minutes before they circumcised you. Um, mm-hmm. It's 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 it goes on to say um, the late complications depend on the type that are performed. Um, some of the cauterized wounds um, and the sewn up wounds um, from the stitchers can lead to scars and keloids, which also form a growth on top of whatever um, wound was already existent. Um, there's fistula formation in the urinary and genital tracts, especially if the wound was cauterized and then reopened and then. This young girl um, was probably, um, you know, raped by a new husband. Um, the body, the 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 the, the um, vaginal and uterine systems just can't take the trauma of it all. Um, there is damage to the urethra sometimes and the bladder because of these infections, um, and. Tons of other um, illnesses, such as pelvic infections, vaginal infections, um, dysmenorrhea, um, for people who don't know what that is, um, dysmenorrhea is um, painful periods, painful, prolonged periods. Um, And, yeah, for some people, I know um, periods are naturally very painful, but dysmenorrhea can feature different kinds of pain, including sharp, throbbing, um, stabbing pain, nauseating, burning, shooting pain, and um, excessive blood loss. So sometimes um, iron deficiency anemia can also be a side effect of female genital mutilation. Okay. Mm, okay. But you she's know, pure, so it's okay. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, it, it, these things, these are things that we need to talk about because we sit in our own little little bubbles and feel that we're safe and secure because, our culture doesn't really prom- promote that heavily and everything. Even though America does have some serious problems, we don't have those problems, at least not outright. But I'm, as I'm reading, as, I, as I've been reading about all this stuff and, you know, taking notes and stuff like that and learning things that I had no, I had no idea about, as, 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 as fascinated as I am about ancient Rome, I had no idea that the, uh, the practice of infibulation 
which means they sew up the vagina, has its roots in ancient Rome, you know, where they kind of stick a little, they actually pierce the lips of the, the labia with a, like, a small, I guess, uh, uh, a toothpick type thing or something like that mm-hmm. to close up the vagina and prevent them from getting um, pregnant and everything. I mean, I mean, you know, general mutilation, what it really is in the yeah. most basic, basic terminology is um, an anatomically created chastity belt. Right. You know, you don't have, you don't need it. You don't need a heavy metal instrument with a lock and a key. I'm going to use your own body and the way your body heals to to completely demolish your vagina and make sure that no one gets in until I want them to, of course. Wow. Um, another huge factor for victims of female genital mutilation is something called dyspareunia, um, and that's a fancy way of saying um, painful sexual intercourse. Um, a lot of it is because of the medical reasons, obviously, the physical reasons, but also a lot of it is psychological, and I mean, why wouldn't it be? Um, there's a lot of trauma involved with your gener- your genitals and what you feel about them after such a thing, especially when such an act is perpetrated by the consent, and sometimes um, um, it's a family member, they not only consent to it, they're the ones performing it. Um, so it can be a situation where even if this person isn't married off as a child, even if they do have uh, romantic feelings for the person that they end up married to or eventually sleeping with, um, they have so much psychological um, baggage because of this. Um, and the painful intercourse um, can you know, be lack of lubrication um, and pain upon um, the cervix, especially for those that were cauterized, because what happens is the sooner that is done and the, long, the longer it takes to marry the girl off or for the woman to get married after that point, um, that cauterized wound, the reason they have to reopen it, the vagina is because, because of that cauterized wound, because she, it, it, the, the, the vagina can't clean itself like it should and she can't clean it and nothing can be put in there, um, it starts to close up unnaturally, and sometimes it never reopens back to the shape that it should have. So even even if she were to put a tampon in there, it might be excruciating pain. Mm. That's 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 horrific, man. That that's horrific. So you um, have this woman with this, you know, horrible mutilation, she has a perpetually dry, tight vagina, of course she would see herself or they, the community would see her as a martyr um, amongst women um, for bringing children to the world under that pain and, you know, all the more reason to ridicule a woman who hasn't been circumcised and does have children because she's clearly not strong, as strong as you are. She hasn't gone through what you've gone through. She's not a real woman. This is the kind of thing that that perpetuates this idea that this is a noble thing, that it's a worthy cause, and it's a tradition that should be carried on when it's not. Right. And, you know, and, and um, I mean, you have to think that somebody actually believes that this is a good idea. Somebody actually believes that they're doing female service or they're, or whatever. I mean, it's, it's not. You know, somebody once said, once said, and I can't remember the quote verbatim, but I'm going to summarize it with a fan. With or without religion, you have people, 
people doing good things and people doing bad things. But for someone to do something good and feel, uh, I mean, some, somebody to do something good, bad and feel good about it, you need religion. Now, I'm pretty, I know I pretty much jacked that up, but you get the basic idea of what I'm saying, man, is that, you know, um, these people, you know, these practices, they're not practiced uh, um, because they're not just practiced because they, they believe that they're doing a service. They practice, they're doing these things because they actually believe that this is a very good good idea. This is a good thing to do. And that's why it's been carrying on so long. I mean, I mean they would trim, they would call themselves in 6 AD um, the Greek physician Aetios, and I'm not even pronouncing that right, but these guys should name these guys should name Chuck or Larry or something like that, but we'll talk about that later. The cutting was necessary in the presence of an overly large clitoris. Now, imagine going through a surgical procedure in 6th century A.D. in which somebody cuts off a small part of a part of your body that has more nerve endings than any other part, man. There's no anesthesia and there's no uh, um, there's no anesthetic. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you read about you know you read in about in a lot of unit. these countries there still isn't in a lot of these tribal um, rural communities in various African nations there still isn't anesthesia for you. You'll be lucky if the instruments they use are, are properly sanitized. Right. Really. Um, you know about what I was saying earlier about um, the the vagina um, closing up on itself. And, and never really getting back to its normal shape, because of this, um, um, infant mortality has has got has, is skyrocketing amongst women with female genital mutilation. Not only neonatal, um, because of all the infections that they've probably been living with for years after the procedure, um, affect affecting the fetus. And oh, I can only imagine going through a miscarriage with that. But um, when they're giving birth as well. Um, the vagina is supposed to dilate a certain amount, and sometimes for these women, it never does. And what happens is their own um, pelvic floor and vaginal walls can crush the baby as they're giving birth. Mm. Yeah. And I think it kind of goes back to my, um, well, I mean, I'll associate it with my main point is that, you know, a lot of, a lot of, those proponents of this idea, you know, their, their main defense is that well, it's not a religious, you know, concept. You know, we don't we don't derive it from religious, you know, uh, text. But um, their whole, you know, cultural basis. Let's let's take a adverse. Um, well, the Muslim society. communities that do practice it, they try to find um, um, obscure Sharia laws that say that it should be done. That you're that you're a bad Muslim if a woman if you don't get well, it done. Even and there's they, nothing worse in the Muslim community than not being an obedient woman. Sure, and even if they can, um, you know, like textually, you know, justify what they'll say is, well, you know, what are they doing in Western cultures? They don't practice this. this look at their whole culture, you know. They, they practice, you know, pornography and all this stuff. That's why, you know, they're not holy like us. And then they'll, you know, eventually coalesce it with religion anyway, you know. Mm-hmm. May not be in the text, but... They're never going to go to heaven, you know what I'm saying? Because they, they're full of heathens anyway, you know? So uh, what we do... Well, the thing about most religious communities, and I'm talking about all of them now, is that if you have a religious leader that wants to promote an idea, 
whether or not their religion promotes it or not, they will find some obscure passage that agrees with them because you can, because these books are so contradictory and nonsensical and archaic. You yeah, will like always you, find uh, something that agrees with you. Like if you need um, upgrades on your helicopter, um, you can find uh, scriptures to justify that, apparently. Oh, the prosperity gospels kill me. Jesus was, just, was not was rich. He told you to about, put the uh, money away. Yeah, I was just dialoguing with a lady about, uh, she she says she knew a pastor who went to school, you know, for dentistry and all that. So I said, well, why, why is he going to school? I mean, you're telling me he's a pastor. He's paying to go to school to also be a dentist. And yet, you know, you're saying that God blesses him with everything. He blessed him with the knowledge and all that stuff. Why do we even have school? Why don't he go to seminary school? What the hell is he paying anybody to learn anything? You know what I'm saying? I mean, God is obviously blessed <laughs> Why are we wasting all our time on medical schools and doctors and all this? I mean, what the fuck is really going on? Oh, well, we, we, I mean, all that stuff is necessary, but God just helps them get through. Shut the fuck up. You know what I'm saying? It's just... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I had a, a similar conversation with a former acquaintance of mine that was a, a very hardcore Christian. And, you know, saying if your child was sick when taken to the doctor, it's like, yeah, I would. But the God is the one who put the, doc- the knowledge in that doctor's head. I'm like, so medical school didn't? God invented medical schools. She actually said that. God invented medical schools. I'm not kidding. Um, <laughs> and so at that point, when you're using everything possible to to justify your religion and vice versa, use your religion to justify everything that you want to um, c- condone and promote, and encourage, then what can be said at that point? You know, with some of these, especially the um, the rural African tribes that practice female genital mutilation, and they do it for social um, reasons, um, you know, you, you try to go and educate them about how harmful this is to women. Try to change their minds about their ideas on sexuality and marriage and purity and you're accused of disrespecting the culture the same way that a person would accuse you of disrespecting their religion. But the fact of the matter is the idea that you need that everything is worthy of respect is ridiculous. I do not respect right. the pedophile's right to touch children. I don't respect an arsonist's right to set my house on fire. You know, I don't respect your religion for violating human rights. I don't respect, and I, you know, maybe the rest of the culture may be all right, but this aspect of the culture needs to go, and people need to figure that out too. Is there is very rarely does anyone go around saying that something is completely bad or completely good. There could be great aspects of the culture, but that does not negate that this is something harmful, and it's a violation of human rights. And that's the thing. That's to not stray to not stray from the uh, the point in the conversation about female genital mutilization, but um, I'm sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I'm more surprised when I actually keep my train of thought. Where are my sound bites? I haven't heard one all damn night. I'm like, well, I don't know what the hell's going on with you, Miles. Miles falling off. No, it's such a serious topic. We didn't want to, like, Yeah. Um, Yeah. Take away from it. Um, Well, I think one thing that is a very common denominator, you know, this is just an innate human uh, emotion is just, you know, you know, the feeling of possessiveness. And I mean, these males are dominating their cultures, and 
I mean, sure, you know, this has been going on for all of their civil, you know, civilization uh, uh, traditions, and I mean, it's you know, it's so weird because as I was doing the research about this, um, like I said, in the Muslim cultures where it's done, it is a matter of religion and, and sexual purity and male domination. But what I've seen with other communities, um, non-Islamic communities that do it for non-religious reasons. It's just a social norm, and it is not the men in these communities that is that are pushing for it, that are saying, you know, you're ugly and you're unworthy if you don't get it. It's the women, it's the mothers and the grandmothers and the aunts saying, you need to do this. This is the only way that you'll ever be able to be, this is the only way you'll be a real woman. Of course, the man's opinion has something to do with it, but... um. There have been um, communities where they've been successful in, in telling these women, this is wrong, stop doing it because of X, Y, and Z, and showing them information. And once they stop doing it, the men got used to it. They're like, okay, so none of the women are going to be circumcised anymore? Okay. Like, you know, it's a situation like in the United States, like if every woman stops shaving her legs, even though a man likes to look at smooth legs, if there were no women with shaved legs around, then he'd get used to it. Or even if he never learned to like it, he would realize there are there are no smooth legs coming. I might as well get used to it. Sure, you know what I'm saying? So um, you know that these are male-dominated societies. So I mean, the, mm -hmm. the ideology is going to come. No, gonna, but that's you know, what I'm saying. This is not just something that happens in patriarchal societies. It happens in ma matriarchal societies. I have a hard time believing that you know a woman decided that this was going to be. I mean, you know, originally the best idea for her, you know, to mutilate herself as a, you know, uh, yeah, it's so hard for me to wrap my brain around. <laughs> yeah. It's so hard for me to wrap my brain around. Um, but, um, and this is a little bit off topic, but it's a it's a it's a pretty good example of what I'm talking about. Where sometimes well, females will propagate um, systems that are harmful to themselves and their daughters. Um, in Cameroon, there is something called breast ironing, and it's exactly what it sounds like. You take a hot flat stone, you heat it up. You take a hot flat stone, you heat it up, and you you press it down on your prepubescent daughter's chest to prevent her breast from growing. And the reason why they do this, the mothers do this, is to prevent their daughters from being raped because there are high um, rates of female rape in that country. Here's the thing. No father partakes in it. Um, he, they don't, they don't iron their girls' breasts. I'm not saying that Cameroon isn't a patriarchy. Um, obviously, it's a patriarchal culture, but the fathers are not the ones doing this. They're not the ones propagating it. And what, and the sad part about it is, this hasn't, this practice hasn't caused rape to go down at all in the country, but they're still doing it. What it has done is caused tens of thousands of babies to. Um, die in Cameroonian hospitals of malnutrition because their mother's tear ducts are so messed up that she cannot produce milk or she cannot breastfeed. But they're still doing it. And there's there was a woman that I saw in a video, she was interviewed, she said, my mother did it to me, why shouldn't I do this to my daughter? It's good for her. And she she has her neighbor hold her daughter down as she does this and sees the tears coming out of her daughter's eyes and does it anyway. Um, it's it, this is the thing I'm saying about parents, mothers, and fathers worldwide. Just do not always have their children's best interests at heart. They do things that are physically and psychologically damaging to their children, and and this idea that women care more, um, or that excuse me, that mothers care more than fathers is not always true. 
um, the parent that cares more is a parent that can put um, the the expectations of society and their own ego at aside and do what is best for their child. Mm-hmm. If you're doing something that is putting your child in such pain, you know, it's, it's, and without even stepping back and asking yourself why, is this necessary? Would it kill them not to do this? Would it, would it make them ill not to do this? Um, you know, I could understand, even with the, the, the genital mutilation, you know, some of these women are just desperate to get their girls married and so they, they see that the pro outweighs the cons. You know, but then you think of things like breast ironing. There is no pro here because her chances of getting raped are still just as large as they were before you started taking a hot stone to her breasts. The elderly at, women. At this, at this point, you're just hoping you're not really accomplishing anything. Yeah, elderly women can get raped, man. I mean, if, if to a rapist, as long as there's an orifice to forcefully enter, there then there's an opportunity there. And um, so, um, you know, a rapist doesn't care about you, about all that. I mean, they have a sickness about them that doesn't even register all that stuff. You know, um, when you sit the there, the issue with all of these is the fact that. Their children are afforded such few rights worldwide. Children have almost no rights. At least in this country, there might be justice for the child afterward. But even even in this country, and we covered this on our on our episode about faith healing, parents are able to do so many horrible things to their children. Um, you know, before the state steps in, if they do at all. There were the parents that, that got their children taken away from them after they killed their second child through faith healing. There was no justice for that first child. Right. And there was no reprieve and no safety for the other five children that were finally taken away from them. And they were allowed to, to, to do this to two of their children and cause the death of two of their children before anyone stepped in. Yeah. I mean, you know... uh. I mean, would you, I mean, I mean, it's just the fact that you can fix your mind up to say that this person here, that you have to adhere to this standard so hard. Like, I mean, this, I was reading about uh, this. Uh, I, I forget what country it's in, but it, it wasn't. It wasn't a, 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 a Islamic country. I think they were living. It might have been Britain or something like that. And which I do uh, found out his daughter had been talking to uh, uh, to uh, boys. And so they held held a little trial in the house, and with and everybody except the mother, I believe, believed that the girl should be executed, and so they buried the girl alive, and they actually mm-hmm. found dirt in her lungs and stuff like that. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I mean, this is, a, this is a teenage girl, you know. And so, I mean, it, it, a lot of these, sometimes when you think about the things that you have in America you know, versus what you don't have. Sometimes, you know, sometimes, some things, you kind of be like, yeah, at least we don't have that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that you can talk about, but at least, you know, I mean, women have had it hard throughout history. There's not, there are very few cultures that are putting women on equal footing with men. And nine times ten, those cultures were destroyed anyway. So I yeah. mean, you know, uh, uh, 
and this stuff is still going on. I mean, there's still there's still female genital 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 mutilation. There is there is sex trafficking, sex sex slavery in America as we speak. Yeah, I actually went to a conference for that back when I was still Catholic about um how they were um about how um um sex traffic sex traffickers target um um teens and younger children online and you know there are children being bartered and traded back and forth um right here in this country as sex slaves. There was one man, a social worker that was um arrested about 6 or 7 months ago in Florida because he was keeping um, four um, children in his home as slaves. Yeah, but mm. these are, these are you know, even they would acknowledge themselves as predators for the most part. You mm-hmm. know, they get turned a different page when you say the whole culture just accepts this as the norm and, and they're participating as it's an expectancy, you know, and if you deviate from it, then you will be ostracized or, you know, tortured or even killed. I mean, this is this is a whole different you know pay scale we're talking about. So, I mean, it's almost like the you know I mean, almost it's like the slave trade. I mean, it just goes on and on. So. Exactly, that's the biggest problem with female genital mutilation is because in the cultures and communities where this is practiced, um, the, if it's covert, it's only because it's been made against the law. It's not something that you have to hide from your friends and your neighbors. It's accepted. It's the norm. It's what everybody does. Yeah, exactly. Um, you're not the outcast for doing it. You're the outcast for not doing it. Right. Right. Um, it, it, it's just something that that culturally accepted. You know, it's it's not. I mean, you're you. I mean, by not doing it, you're the one that's creating an issue and causing a problem. You're not ridding your daughter right if you don't uh, uh, trim her vagina. It's not even about reading her right. It's it's a situation where you're made to feel shamed by by the people around you by saying that you're doing her a disservice. That by not to, right. not demolishing her her genitalia, you are harming her. Right. And this is this is one of the reasons why I say it's it's still kind of amazing how technology even at this level has failed us because social media, you know, with Facebook and Instagram, I mean, you know, things that, that you would think would be captivating for the young minds, maybe the older people, you know, the older generations don't care, but, but the younger generations do and, and to think that you could, you know, get on Facebook and, and really not see something, you know, so uh, uh challenging to an absurd view that you, you know, adhere to would be sort of strange. I mean, you know, I've connected with people all around the world on Facebook, and it's, it's you know, kind of assumed that, you know, many, most of the people on Facebook have. But um, maybe that's not the case. You know, maybe people are just culturally restricted so much in these, these countries that they, they haven't even the ability to, you know, dwell outside of their communities. You know, what I've noticed about many communities, and I'm talking about all um isolated communities, um, everyone from the Maasai to the Amish, et cetera, is there's so many things that a lot of people who live there don't like about that place, but not only do they feel powerless to change it, but since they've never seen or been exposed to anything else, they think everyone lives like this. Yeah, but I don't know how hard it it would be for someone to, um, like, come across, you know, just general world history, 
You know, I mean, I think everybody, even whether to the point where you say, you know what, I don't like the United States because they're too snobbish, they're too advanced. You know, uh, I don't like you know uh, industrialized countries because you know they they think they figured it out. You know, they're they're heathens or whatever the case may be. But they're at least aware that this is going on, that people are actually thriving. You know, in these these you know more advanced societies, and they have you know, like I said, restricted their uh, self to their own culture, you know, due to the fact that they don't want to be advanced. At least they're aware of the fact that it exists. And so the more you, you know, make the youth aware of it, they're not as afraid. You know, youth, youth they're usually curious. They just, you know, they, they would rather not deal with, um, you know, uh, restricted absurdities and, and stuff like that. I mean, although they want to feel safe you know, and accepted, you know, you you'll still tend to find some that, you know, even the Amish, you know, Dad. I mean, damn, you mean to tell me I can't? I mean, fucking a, a a tracker would actually help us, Dad. You know, do we have to fucking use a hole for our whole life? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. It just it, it seems very strange. I guess if it can go on in America with the Amish, it can happen anywhere in the world. What the, what it is with Amish is a fear that if you progress for the good, you take the bad. And it's, it is it is actually very valid for you. You cannot take the good with the bad. You can't open the door just halfway um, and not expect every you know any sort of thing to come in. And it's one of the ways that you can control the behavior of the people around you is to limit what they can do, um, both the good and the bad. Um, and they've been able to live the way they've been able to live because they severely limit outside exposure and those who want to go outside to Rum Springer can do that. And if you decide that you want to live with the outsiders, then you can't be in contact with us because you're going to, you're going to infect us with, with that new way of thinking. And I completely understand that mindset um, because when you know more, you want to learn more, you ask more questions, and sometimes that can um, evolve into breaking away from a religion or breaking away from um, 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 you know, accepted cultural and societal norms that ha- that are harmful. And once you know something, you can't unknow it, and that's the problem. And they could just eradicate yeah, what you've seen and what you heard from your mind, and that's one thing. But once you know something, it will consciously or subconsciously affect the decisions you make from that point onward. I think the sad part is that as humans, we we take we take so long to. Uh, you, you know, um, mature, I mean, as as young, you know, toddlers, and then you get into the, you know, child thing, we're, we're becoming very obvious and predictable. I mean, I can see a dissenter coming a mile away. My son asks a million questions, you know, versus my other child, and I can see where that's going. You know, luckily I'm not afraid to answer the questions, but if I was trying to suppress something and, you know, be defensive about something, I can see that I'm going to have a problem with this child. So I better nip it in the bud right now, you know, mm-hmm. cut his damn, you know, peanut, whatever the hell I, I culturally, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to do. I, you know, that's the unfortunate part. Children, you know, have this candid way of, of giving themselves away, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, mm-hmm. they, they're just... Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said with my old... um. Christian acquaintance I was talking to her, she actually said, and at the time she had, you know, a one-year-old, and um, the, and she um she had another baby on the way, and she said to me, "Flow," because um they're both boys, you know, um 
my husband and I watch our son and we're going to watch our other son for signs of gayness all the time because we need to nip that in the bud. I believe that's around the time I stopped talking to her. But, yeah, she was monitoring her sons for signs of gayness in order to stop it in its tracks. Um, and this is another thing I'm talking about with, with cultural control. It definitely it starts in the home. Oh, absolutely. It's kind of sad, well, but they, they, people think that she thinks that this is the best thing for the child because nothing was worse than being gay because you need to stay in the Lord's favor or whatever. Yeah. I think a real tragedy rests in the fact that, you know, world world, world health organizations can't really penetrate, you know, this uh, this calamity of a, you know, culture or, you know, distant cultures um, and, you know, see this uh, activity. It's, you know, they're deemed as just some, I guess, uh, second-rate um, emergency and, you know, we just haven't prioritized it enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is the thing with female genital mutilation is that it is not an individual problem. It is not strictly a religious problem. It is a cultural problem. It is a mindset that needs to be completely revolutionized um, because it's only deteriorating the um, emotional, physical, and psychological well-being of these women. And... Um, you know, contributing to the deterioration of the society as a whole. If one half of that society is living with pain and trauma, how can that society move forward? And that's what kills me is that the one universal um, logic that we have, you know, I'm more... um, in tune to thinking that, you know, we're... Our our ability to think logically, you know, we some argue whether it's an objective uh, position or a subjective position. I mean, it's probably both, but I think the universal aspect of it is that we all object to pain. I mean, I don't even care if you're, you know, a masochist. I mean, you're, you know, your body. You may override it with your brain, but your body still, you know, doesn't actually want to feel the shit. You know, you just kind of override it. So it's it's completely strange that. That's the one thing that we can say, you know what, if it's unnecessary, I just don't think, you know, I'm with it. And why shouldn't I just be able to be born and live out, you know, a natural existence? Why why should my body have to be tampered with? But as human beings, we have done so many things that are contrary to our biological instincts. Um, you know, we have suppressed sexuality, which is against nature. Um we have um, promoted um, monogamy, which is is unnatural for many people, and they're incapable of doing it. Um, we have labeled homosexuality as unnatural when not only is it not for us, um, but it's not for various species on the planet. We try to compartmentalize our actions, and we try to eradicate our instinctive desires and wants and needs, and it only ends up harming us more in the long run. We all, you know, we also we also try to place people in boxes and, and determine what 
what we what they should be doing and what they shouldn't do according to their culture, race, age, and everything like that. And it seems like we do more harm than good with all these all these labels and all these standards and all these ideas that everybody's supposed to live up to every single day in order to be considered what uh, a part of this group or that group or accepting of this idea or this belief or this religion and all that stuff just gets to be, it, it to me is a detriment. You know, it forces people to, it forces, it forces too much uh, division, if you ask me. I mean, it forces too much, in some cases, it forces too much acceptance of irrationality. You know, like what yeah. we're talking about tonight. Definitely, definitely. Um, it's it's I I believe it's um one of those things where you can only be in the now and only cause pain and suppress um desire so long before um it it causes extreme psychological harm to the individual and the society at large. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, one thing. Um, because the thing about female genital mutilation, um, it's another thing I failed to mention. A lot, the vast majority of the people, the women who get it, are still very capable of feeling sexual desire. They just don't feel sexual pleasure, the majority of them. And that's got to be a very interesting and frustrating dichotomy to experience. Well, I think it definitely says something about humanity in general when, when billions of people can witness the birth of their own flesh and blood Right there at that moment, at that moment where they witness, you know, that, that, that child, you know, coming into a, you know, lively existence. And at simultaneously, you know, they're thinking, what a, magis- a magistical experience. And then subconsciously be thinking, this is a born sinner. We have to go baptize him quickly because he's, you know, the fucking sinner, you know what I'm saying? He's flawed, you know? So why wouldn't they be able to, you know, practice all these other, you know, traditions? If if that's their innate, I'm not innate, I should say, uh, you know, uh, indoctrinated position. So, you know, it really, I guess, shouldn't surprise as long as religion has a you know, foothold in this society around the world. Mm-hmm. Maybe it does stem from religion altogether. Yeah. And uh, uh, right, real quick, if you uh, if you uh, win the last uh, half hour, so uh, you want to get in on the uh, conversation and uh, and whatnot, uh, just give us a call. And um, hold on a minute here. I think it's up to sleep. Uh, I, I can't remember. Uh, I don't remember either. Hold on. I'm going to get the number. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Let me get the number. I'm getting the number. 310-982-4273. To get through. <laughs> I can't remember without can the jingle, man. I'm... One damn thing, Mario. One thing to do. That was your only responsibility. Is remember the number. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I'm I'm lost, man. 
I am a little off, man. I, I had to get up at 1 a.m. to drive the truck for about 13 hours, so I'm still running off caffeine right now. Look, wow, you man. have bacon and you have coffee. You'll get over it. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, um, you know, it's it's it, 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 it needs these communities that practice female general mutilation, they need a cultural overhaul. They need a religious re-evalu- re- reevaluation and reassessment. Um, because um, the women need to fe- to understand that their womanhood is still intact if their clitoris is still intact. The men need to understand that having a woman with a clitoris doesn't make you less of a man. And 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 you know the idea that she might have been with a man before you, or that she might have experienced pleasure or could experience pleasure, isn't a bad thing. See, see, the problem with your logic, though, is that you're making sense. See, and these, hmm. these people, these people not don't listen to sense. You know, it, you know, and it's, it, yeah, it, they it, listen it, to pleasure. They listen to pleasure. I mean, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're gonna listen. They're gonna listen to the the most irrational idea that they can find. Like they're. These, some of these people still believe that, hey, that woman, the reason why we have a flu epidemic in our village is because those people right there are witches. Let's set them on fire while they're still alive and all this will go away. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, that's the world we live in. And, you know, yep. there's so many ways that not just the women, but human beings in general can be violated. And it's such a travesty where, um, you know, people will use any reason, excuse to justify violating the civil rights of their fellow human being. Yeah, well, I think it comes back to, you know, the underpinning of religion. I mean, they, they have this ability to just, you know, close out the fact that even though you you may have the same operating parts, I mean, whether it be a different color or different, you know, uh, race or creed. Um, you know, you're not in our culture, so you're, you can't be human being. I mean, you're not, maybe, you know, <laughs> categorized as a human being, but you're not going to heaven with me. You're not going to my heaven. So nothing you do matters, you know. You're expendable. That's all I have to yeah. do with. Um, and, you know, like I said, there are so many girls, not just this Egyptian girl, there are tons of girls all over the world where this is performed. Um, like I said, it's performed in Asia, Middle East, Africa, even parts of South America are catching on to this sick little trend that end up dying. Blood loss, infections, horrible, horrible infections, like the ones I stated, and their bodies simply can't take it, and they die as a result of this procedure. Mm-hmm. Um I, I've never heard of anything that was designed to make you a better person or to make your life easier that was supposed to be, you know, painful or then damn near fatal. Yeah, I, I just, you know, um, you know, people have a hot, have a hard idea of understanding those things. I mean. That you know, I mean, a lot of times when I'm reading about, because I'm kind of fascinated, especially by old religion and old customs and stuff like that. Like, how do you arrive at this idea? How do you, how do you come up with the best way to cure a disease or to put 
like a, a hundred leeches on someone's body to have them drink the blood and everything like that. I mean, how do you arrive at the idea that, you know... I mean, uh, at um, least with that, they're trying to help you with a poison or a disease that already exists. The thing with female genital mutilation is there is no problem. You are creating a problem. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but they believe that there is... Well, they believe that they're oh, yeah. preempting a problem. Yeah. Or that the the way the vagina looks naturally is the problem. Or that the fact that she might not be a virgin and might start sleeping around if you don't, you know, destroy her genitalia, that's a problem. Yeah, and I think one of the um, failing aspects of this is that, you know, in our society, cultures, you know, just, just in industrialized countries, we have the medical field where you have to continuously receive um, you know, uh, ongoing education about the, you know, updated technologies and, and capabilities and whatnot. So I don't know what their philosophies are in this, these other you know, third world countries, but I think in order for them, I think it should be in order for them to receive specific, you know, aid, medical, you know, supplies and whatnot, that their doctors should be, you know, trained and educated on these basic principles about, the violations of, you know, human rights and whatnot so that they can be more advocates because at some point they're going to need anesthesia, like you said. You know, these are common practices within the, you know, this whole FGM, you know, practice. Um, mm-hmm. You know, these these administrators of science actually should be the promoters of the whole effort to, you know, uh, you know, eradicate this stuff. I mean, this is where the foothold should take place, I believe. You know, forget fighting religion, you know, they just fight, you know, science. I mean, whoever's administering the medicine at that level of in their society should be the, you know, proponent of, of eradicating it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have to agree. Um you know, healthcare professionals will be the 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 number one um ally for the anti FGM um um advocates. Um and that would help in some instances. But there are some countries where there are doctors that are actually performing this because it's the norm there. Um, there are doctors actually advocating for it because it's the norm there. There are tribes and villages where you don't have a doctor. You have the medicine man and the medicine woman, and everything they know is about the herbs that grow around there and all the old wise tales they've been told over the years. That's pretty much it, and they don't really know much more about human anatomy than what can be seen um, with the naked eye. So that's what we're left with, is ignorance being propagated um, by the current state of ignorance, or in other places, um, um, knowledge being superseded by religious fervor. You know, I'm the doctor. I know better. I know everything that could come as a result of this. But whatever, Allah. You know, uh, if you if you go to the wrong doctor, you can get screwed up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I I love you know I um 
you know, um, as long as, you know, we've been trying to figure things out about humankind and, and the body and stuff like that, there have been some odd remedies. And a lot of times it comes to find out that stuff just natural to the body anyway. So the fact that we're in 2013 and we're still cutting off people's body parts because of it's not because of something that is not even an illness or or a debilitating or an issue that's going to hinder you amputate an arm or a foot because you have gangrene and the only way to stop it from spreading and eating the rest of your body is to cut off that limb before it, before it gets any further and whatnot. You're cutting off a woman, a piece of a woman's body part only because you're such a weak man that you can't stomach her having, what, a sexual identity or something. I mean, and I, I know we kind of bantied this about. This is a good discussion and everything in spite of the fact that we have some technical difficulties. I mean, I guess Skynet is taking over right now. But anyway, <laughs> but, um, you know, how much, can we, how much can we really expect from these, you know, these third world cultures to, for the people to stand up to this when, when here we are sitting in the most, you know, superpower uh, industrialized nation, and we still have our literal literal courtrooms saying, "Put your hand on the bottle." On one hand, you know, if you come in and you, you know you, you're telling me, you know, you're gonna swear to God that you won't tell a lie, and then right after that, if you tell me that you know you killed a guy because God told you to, you was just gonna throw the book at you and send you to the death penalty anyway. I mean, there's, there's so much, <laughs> you know, we have not caught up to this basic common sense on the highest level. So, you know, why really should we expect these third world countries to come around? I mean, we, we just haven't done a good enough job on our own. Science has not really put down the foot. I mean, we have countless doctors and scientists out there that still believe that, you know, this is an intelligent design universe. I mean, yeah. you, know, for, uh, you know, we expect, you know, these you know, what we quote unquote consider, you know, ignorant behavior of people to, to you know, come to our level. It's, well, I, I think I speak for everyone who's ever had um um pelvic and back issues when I say that there is nothing intelligent about this design. It's lame. <laughs> right, but all, all they're gonna do, you know, I mean you're you're of a Haitian descent, you know, they're gonna Gravitate for a Pat Robertson, you know, type of mentality. Well, you know, there's. there's oh God, I forgot. I'm cursed. I'm Haitian, and my people made that path of the devil. Darn. Sure. Exactly. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I forgot be, about that. Yeah, there's got to be something you've done. You were born a sinner for crying out loud. You know. I mean, mm. isn't that enough? Isn't that enough justification to justify all the misery? This is that what I don't understand now? with people who partake in circumcision, um, and and mutilation. Um, especially those doing it for religious reasons. People are born with the, these parts on their genitalia. Everyone of that gender. It is not a deformity. If God wanted it gone, why couldn't he remove it himself? Or why did he create it in the first place? Wow. Like, this is not a cleft palate. It's not something everyone is... It's not something that comes along every once in a while and needs to be fixed. It's 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 not a deformity. It's not a it's not a condition. It's not a disease. It's not contagious. It's not going to kill anyone. It never killed anyone. You know, like why? What is this? What are you doing? Well, and we already know that religious you know uh, proponents never 
They're not going to answer all your most critical questions. They're not going to tell you why there's, you know, hundreds of millions of sperm coming out if, if this was a preordained fucking, you know, event. I mean, why why not just one, you know what I'm saying? You never have why, to say why, why if you if you can just say, you know, God works in mysterious ways. Sure. That's exactly. like the that's like the answer to every question that a Christian uh, that a, the a Christian doesn't know the answer to. Right. Her comfort zone. So. Um. It's 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 pretty sad though that constantly, constantly, um, we need to to um you know invoke God for the grossest injustices um to humankind. And you know, then then these same people want to be God's defense attorney and talk about why He's not so bad after all. And he loves us so much, and He's such an awesome God. <laughs> yeah. well, I'm, I'm assuming that these practices. I mean, I'm like I said, I'm not really keen on the the, the whole practice. You could light me to a lot of uh, activity on the FGM, but. I'm, I'm assuming that these practices happen with girls that are in their adolescent stage, or you know, what's the average age? Of no, they, the average age is usually um, between five and ten years old. Okay, so these are ages that it do, they would. It does experience. happen. It does happen younger. It happens to toddlers, and even happens to some female infants. It does. They have. It has been known to happen on infants, and it does happen with some girls who are older, sometimes thirteen, fourteen. But that's usually um, when the parents. Um, um, are living in or have immigrated to a country where it's banned, they wait a little bit longer because then it's easy to do it. Um, it's easy to, to talk to the child about why they shouldn't snitch to school officials and things like that. And it's easier to get a doctor um, on the black market willing to do it for an older child. Well, I think the scapegoat ideology in America, you know, in our society anyway, is um, well, we do it on infants because it's, they won't remember the shit. They have no, you know, you know, the psychological effects would seem to be more, you know, unconscious than subconscious or conscious. And, you know, with someone who's five or ten, I mean, they're clearly going <laughs> to remember the fucking abhorrent experience that they went through. So, you know, there's, there's got to be, some, like I said, some correlation to a common denominator versus pain. If you can sit here and watch your ten-year-old get diced up, you know, in the most sensitive areas, like Mario said, um, I mean, you have you have really lost a, a very crucial connection with humanity, you know what I'm saying? Not only that, I mean, as a parent, how would such, how must such a thing, you know, completely distort and damage your relationship with your child? How can you expect uh, them to trust you after that? Exactly. It's, it's unbelievable. unbelievable. You know, it's a how do you look your daughter in the eyes after you held her down to do something like that to her? Right. I agree. You know, I, I think... Go ahead. You know, uh, uh, I, I don't even think they care no more, man. I mean, I think they, they especially in cultures where a woman is pretty much treated as a less than. I mean, I don't even consider them to be a Second grade, second, uh, uh, um, first class, second class citizen. You know, I mean, you know, they, you know, I mean, it, I mean, a lot of these places just don't care about the right or the idea that a woman has any type of 
freedom at all. I mean, I'm surprised they don't have women wearing um, plate mail and suits of armor and stuff. You know, just it's ridiculous. Well, I, I, I think, think under that, I think under the burqas and under the hijabs and you know the other um, other forms of Islamic oppression gear. Uh, putting wearing a physical chastity belt on top of that, she'd probably just collapse in the street and die of heat, and the burden of carrying that thing around. And you know the funniest shit I didn't say. I know, you know, just off topic, but I was on vacation in Florida in Orlando. I went to Wet and Wild, and uh, there was a fucking Muslim woman in a burqa in the fucking pool swimming mm-hmm. with the shit. I'm like, what the. <laughs> well, you you can, know it's a public pool. There could be men there. There are plenty of men. It's crazy. It's like why? Are That's you even... the point. God, she wants to go I swimming, mean, and she doesn't want to be seen by men. That's crazy. I mean, that was like everybody looked like goddamn bitches. Ninety-five I've degrees seen, out here. It's I've seen women go running in that, like jogging and running in that. I have, yeah, I've seen women at the pool with that. You know, we have a pretty um 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 decent Muslim um community in my in my neighborhood. Um, you know, I kind of feel bad for them actually because we have a fairly decent Jewish community too. And there's a little gang of Jewish boys that like to like graffiti stars of David on the local mosque because they're little you know toe rags and they're they're horrible little children. But anyways, um, and the Muslims do everything that everyone else does. I go to the park and I see them. Jogging around the park, playing tennis, and and wearing that. Yeah, it's. it's you know, I I think it's to the point where you've been wearing it for so long. That's your normal. Even if someone told you you don't have to wear it anymore, it might take months or even years for you to get to used to the idea of going out without them, without feeling naked. I mean, I'm, I've worn glasses since I was ten years old. Okay, when I first started wearing contacts. I felt like my face was so exposed. Um, it got really, it was really, really um, hard for me to not feel subconscious about how there was no, no longer anything covering my face. Even though it was just a pair of glasses, it didn't even cover my whole face. And knowing that when people looked at me, they didn't just see my glasses and me, they just saw me. This is This is a corrective lens. This isn't even like, you know, uh, um, you know, a religious garb. It's, it's, you know, those are just those were just glasses. So I mean, yeah, it could be a situation. I've really worn I've worn a hijab or burqa so long. That's that's what I'm used to. You have really big eyes, so you know, really. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. <laughs> hey, yo. So that, that was actually another uh, another worry. Do we have another caller? No, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I said that was actually another worry of mine was because my 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 description was so strong that my eyes would look used to look smaller behind my glasses. So when I took them off, that was the first thing so many of my friends and family used to say. I forgot how enormous your eyes are, and that kind of just made me more self-conscious. You know, um, I had a really close Muslim friend when I was in high school, and um, she wore a, um, a hijab, which is like the head covering, to school every day. And even in all year round, and this is South Florida, okay, the average temperature is 85 degrees all year round, she would wear um, heavy sweats and baggy oversized pants so that you couldn't see her shape. And and only her her hands were ever exposed, her hands and her face. And 
I remember going to the bathroom with her once so that she could adjust her scarf and she took it off. And and awkwardly, like, and I'm not even exaggerating when I say this, her hair alone was more beautiful than most women's entire bodies. Um, and, you know, her culture teaches that, you know, showing your, your, your a man your hair is like showing him your breath, showing him your butt. Um, and I could... I could easily imagine how in a culture where hair is so fetishized that if she were to take off the head covering in front of a traditional Muslim man, she could be putting herself in real danger. Uh-huh. And I'm, you know, seeing someone like that, I imagine I'd be like, ah, uh, shit. Anyway, look, we're going to need a damn show. I, I can't even do my damn clips and shit, man. I'm all... Anyway, it's last five minutes anyway. So, um... Uh, we're gonna go ahead and get ready to wrap it on up. And, um... Um, I hope yeah. that everyone's listening it feels compelled to go out and research the issue um, yourself. There's so many really great organizations, too, that do great work in trying to educate people about FGM and going into these communities and trying to revolutionize the community thought process and, you know, protect the sexuality and protect the genitalia of these young girls. Yeah, right. I think the least we can do, um, the real quick, is like like Emily said, I mean, Emily, she is a proponent of spreading the word, get on, you know, whatever social media you can, just spread a quick, you know, advertisement about it, you know, how ridiculous it might be. You never know who it can affect. I mean, even if you're not dialoguing, just you know, you know, spread some meme about it. Um, I think that that goes to serve the purpose that you know people are uh-huh. actually aware of the situation. Anyway, I'm out. Thanks. All right, thanks All for right. calling, Eric and T. If you're still listening, thank you so much for calling as well. Um, and I'm so sorry again, audience, for the technical difficulties. But I hope that you guys really enjoyed the show and um, and you know you you. This was some food for thought for you, and it planted that seed of curiosity. Um, so, um, and um, any last words, Mario, Kim? Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Kim, if you got anything to say. You can still on. Oh, yeah, no, I'm still here. No, Sunday's show, we're going to talk about victim shaming and scapegoating. So that's what's happening this week. Um, next week, next Thursday, on Blast with Vita Star, we'll be talking about the decriminalization of drugs, marijuana in particular. Friday, we'll have Carl and Alfred. Saturday, Raina. Sunday, Black Free Thinkers, of course, and we'll be talking about intersectionality part two. So thank you, everybody, for um, being patient with us today. Awesome. All right, and um, on my behalf, uh, like it's not, it was probably my fault anyway. But uh, um, um, hopefully, um, the archives will um will um tune up, and you'll be able to catch uh, the show in its entirety and skip past the parts where it was an issue and whatnot. And I will bring the clips back on the next episode, in which I have some new clips and some more crazy shit to get my point across. And we can laugh and have a gay old time. So until then, 
I'm Mario, and that's M with lovely Kim. We'll see y'all next time. Y'all have a good weekend. Have a good weekend, guys.